Well, I remember the question very clearly. It came from a young woman, she's probably in her mid-20s. She had struggled with being abused as a child. And she was really asking, could the God of the universe love her? Looking at herself, she thought, I don't know if I am even lovable. And as we were talking, she said, oh, I know that God so loved the world. I know that verse, John 3, 16. I can understand that God loves the globe and the planet. The question is, does God really love me? Does he love me? It was a few weeks later that I was on my very first mission trip to St. Vincent, a small island in the Caribbean. St. Vincent is one of the poor of the Caribbean islands. It doesn't have white sand beaches. The beaches are black. There's not a lot of tourism. And during the time that we were there, we took a trip across the island, which seemed like across the other side of the world, which seems to the, uh, the most abandoned place on the island. And as we stopped, we were in a small village and the people were saying that there was no church there. There was a really struggle to get a church there. And they said, actually, the name of the village in the language, the name means forsaken by God. And that they really believed that this small village in this part of the world was forsaken, abandoned, rejected by God. Here was a person who said, oh, God loves the world, but can he love me? And here was a city that said, I don't know if God could even love the world. And that's the verse that we wanna look at today. John 3, 16, probably one of the most famous verses uh, that people know. If they memorize a verse, it's often this one. If you watch sports games, you see John 3, 16. And here's what it says, for God so loved the world. The emphasis here is on the world, that God gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That God so loves who? the world. And often we look at this verse and we think, yeah, God can love me or God loves my family. God loves our church. God loves our city. God loves our community. Uh, God loves Canada. We often forget that we are to think globally, that God, he so loved the whole planet and the world. And today my goal is really to get you to see this verse like never before, so that whenever you hear it, you're gonna be challenged to think, God, he so loved the world. We're in this mini-series we've called We the Church. And uh, in this series, we're looking at just some of the mission and vision and purpose of the church. Why are we here? That we are not here just to attend church or go to church, but we are to be God's church. We've seen that we're to be a worshiping community. We're a gospel-formed community, celebrating baptism, communion, reminder that we uh, are saved by Jesus. We have the gospel and live that life, that we are a community, a family of people <laughs> together. And last week we saw that we are to be a church for the city, that the church goes in and wherever it is, it transforms the area around it. And, and today I wanna see that we need to think a little even more broadly than the city and to think of the globe. In fact, our mission statement, I love this. This is Bayview's uh, a mission statement. It says, our prayer is that God would use our church to transform individuals, who transform our great city, and who then transform the world. And this is what we wanna look at today, God's heart for the world, that God so loved 
not just Toronto, not just the GTA, not just Ontario or Canada, but God so loved the world. And so we're going to do a whirlwind kind of overview of all of this scripture. We're going to go from Genesis really to Revelation and look at the fact that our God is a global God. And if we want to have a heart like God's, it's a God-sized heart for the world. The scripture, it can be many divided up in a kind of many ways, but it's a one seamless story. And in many ways, it's a seamless story with three acts. The first act is God's creation of the world, God's creation of the nations. The second is God's heart for salvation of the nations. How does God get the nations to love, worship, and honor him? And the third act is the book of Revelation. It's the celebration of the nations together, the creation, the salvation, and the celebration of the nations. And so the first act is really just the first 11 chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 uh, through Genesis 11, and it really is the creation of the nations. And in Genesis 1, God creates the heaven and the earth. God puts Adam and Eve on the earth, and he gives them a command. And notice the command. It says in verse 28 of chapter 1, And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and notice, fill the what? Earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on what? The earth. God created Adam and Eve and he said, I want you to go and fill the earth. Now think about it. Where were Adam and Eve? They were in the Garden of Eden. They were in this picture of paradise. Now, the whole earth would have been paradise. The whole earth would have been untainted by sin. But God didn't say, oh, fill the Garden of Eden. God didn't say, oh, stay in the safety of this nice little paradise. God says, what? I want you to go and fill the earth. Why? Because where you populate physically, you populate spiritually. And that God has this vision of the whole earth worshiping and rejoicing and saying, not that he's some egomaniac, but just that he created us for fellowship and worship. God says, go and fill the earth. And of course, sin enters the world. And instead of filling the earth, what are they doing? They're killing people. And Jacob, we see that Cain and Abel, the first children, Cain kills Abel, there's murder, and the murder only increases. People are not filling the earth, they're killing everyone. And so God finally kind of says, I want to start over. Let me try to recreate the earth. Let's look at this a second way. And God is really showing us the only way to live, the only way to live is a relationship with Jesus, with him. But God uh, calls Noah and says, I want you to build an ark. I'm going to bring a flood and Uh, I'm going to destroy the world. And when the world is kind of washed clean again, God gives a command to Noah, almost the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve. It says in Genesis 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? Because God so loves the world. He says, You go and fill the earth. And so the picture again, Noah and his family, everything, your plan is to go multiply and and fill the earth because God is a global God. But people don't want to do that, right? Because the centrifugal force of our life is often around us. We don't want to move beyond kind of our safe sphere. We don't even sometimes want to think beyond things. We just want to often live in our little bubble. And we see that this is happening that as the population grows, people want to stay in the city. And then we see this 
a particular place, Babel, that the people want to build a tower. And they want to build a tower because they want to reach God and they want to kind of get by him. But there's something else in, in this. It says in Genesis 11, verse one, it says, now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. We're all together. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and star for mortar, tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that, notice, we may make a name for ourselves, right? That's often what we focus on. Oh, the people of Babel, they want to make a name for ourselves. What's the rest? And so that we are, what? Not scattered over the face of the earth. What was God's command? Fill to the ends of the earth. What did the people of Babel say? We don't want to go to the ends of the earth. And so what does God do? God scatters them. He confuses their language, <laughs> creates the different nations. So the people, what? Now go to the earth. Because his heart is God so loved the world. So that's the first act. God creates the nations and causes people to be scattered. But now those nations, they're living with sin and God has to create a salvation plan. How is he gonna save them? We see in Genesis chapter three, the promise, the hope of a savior, someone who's going to come. And so the rest of the Old Testament is preparing a family and a nation and a land from which that savior comes. So that's the second act, Genesis, chapter 12, really through to the book of Jude is the, the salvation of the nations. And we see that it begins with God calling a man by the name of Abraham. And God picks Abraham out because somehow God knows Abraham has a heart for him. And notice God's promise in Genesis 12, verse one to four, it says, God scatters the people where? Around the nations. And then God says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house where? To the land I'll show you. Leave this as safety and security. Go where I will show you. I will make you what? A great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, what? All the families where? Of the earth will be blessed. God says, Abraham, I'm calling you and I want you to come and you're gonna create a nation and you're gonna be a blessing. What? to the whole earth. This is always God's call for God so loves the world and the people move on. And so God calls Abraham and Abraham does the most amazing thing, right? We see in chapter 11, people didn't wanna leave. They love the safety and security. Abraham leaves and, and goes to the promised land, this land of Canaan, which now Israel that God uh, had planned and prepared for him. And he does that. He struggles a little bit if you read the story and kind of leaving, but he eventually gets there. Now, why? Because going isn't as much about what we're gonna encounter somewhere, it's who we go with. This is what Jesus did when he called his disciples. He calls Peter and James and John. He says, come follow me. They didn't know where they were going, but they knew who they were going with. And friends, this is the mission call. God so loved the world. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, why are we staying? Why are we not going? And going sometimes looks frightening and scary, but it's not if we know who we are going with. And so God calls Abram and Abram goes and follows God and starts to build a nation. He has his son, Isaac, and we see that God gives Isaac the very same command in Genesis 26, 
For he says, Isaac, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. It will give them all these lands. And through you and your offspring, right, all nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm a global God. You're going to be a blessing to the world. Uh, a, Isaac had a son, Jacob, and in Genesis 28, we see the same promise. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. And notice, all peoples on earth will be blessed. How? Through your offspring. You, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, always have a global view because what? God so loves the world. That nation eventually, those people <coughs> find their way down to Egypt because of famine in the land. They stay there and protect it for Joseph. They live there 400 years. Their origin is forgotten. They actually become slaves for the Egyptians. They reach several million people and God finally says, it's time for you to go and come back to the land and be this nation. After 400 years, they become several million people and God brings them back. He raises up Moses and brings them back and takes them to the promised land. And God says to the nation very early on, you are to always be a light to the nations. The whole world is to be blessed through you. And in Deuteronomy chapter four, verses five and six, God's <coughs> through Moses says, here's the 10 commandments, here's how you to live and observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding, notice, to the nations who will all hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. God says, I want you to follow my laws Why? because the whole world is gonna be blessed. The whole world will look and say, what a great God, what a light to the world what great wisdom there is. And that Israel was never to be a nice little uh, self-protected group of people. They were always to have a global vision and be a light. And that was to be a place where people could come and say, hey, how wonderful it is to have just one God. People who grew up were raised in kind of a, a multi-deistic kind of culture or polytheism. There's, a, there's power in one God, and this one God is so true. Then that nation, they're in the land. David becomes king, and he says the same thing. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, and I will be what exalted among the nations. God says, I am a God of the world. Solomon, his son, says the whole, uh, <coughs> um, and the son writes again and again about being a God of the nations. <laughs> Israel disobeys God. Israel doesn't follow him. They don't become a light to the nation. Eventually, uh, Babylon comes in, takes them political prisoners. Israel is scattered to the nations because this is it. If we don't intentionally go, if we don't have a global viewpoint, God is going to scatter us in the nations. And during the time when Israel was as political prisoners, uh, there was a young man named Daniel who rose to power and prominence. He was a worshiper of God and uh, he gains the attention of the king and the king sees how wise he is and Nebuchadnezzar understands some of his dreams through Daniel. And in 1 Kings 4, it says men of, or um, sorry, in Daniel chapter six, verse 26, the king said, I'm gonna make a decree that in all my royal dominion, People are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now get this, Daniel is a young boy, 13. He's taken into political, as a political prisoner into Babylon. 
He rises up the ranks. He lives well. He points people to the one true God. He refuses in his friend's bow to anybody else and considers prayer to God the answer to everything in life. And what happens? The king says, I'm going to tell all my uh, people in my entire empire, many nations, about God. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see that God so loved the world. He loves the world. Now let's just take a moment to pause because that's a lot of scripture. That God is a God of the nations. He's always calls us to the nations, not to the centrifugal force of us, but to the world. And that's part of the heartbeat of uh, the Christian Missionary and Alliance. Bayview Glen, we're part of the uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance of Canada started about 140 years ago, a gentleman by the name of A.B. Simpson. He actually started two kind of organizations, the um, Christian Alliance, which was a, a group of people and worshipers and, and uh, churches eventually that gathered to worship and to learn and to, to become disciples and walk with the Holy Spirit. And then created the Missionary Alliance, which was to send people to the world and it was on the people's hearts that they would send as many missionaries to the world to reach the world before Jesus came. And so the heartbeat of Bayview Glen, the Missionary Alliance Church, is that we are always globally focused that we do that. And so if you go on our webpage, you'll see a number of different missionaries that uh, we support, uh, you can see there, Lana Mary Lou Reed. Uh, they're working with Teach Beyond, and what they do is they help teachers go into different parts of the world, people who wanna teach and maybe use their teaching as a way of reaching people with the gospel and sharing their Christian life. We also have Len and Debbie, or sorry, Warren and Debbie Reeves, and they're in Paris, France. They're working with an English church nexus there that's part of Martin Luther King Church that's a French church. And I can't tell you what exciting things are happening. So I want you to hear just a short testimony of them from them, what God is doing in Paris, France. Listen. Hello, baby Glenn. This is Warren and Debbie Reed, all the way from Paris, France. Bonjour. We're delighted to greet you and very thankful for our seamless link partnership in spreading the gospel through all kinds of different nations to the single church called Martin Luther King. Our call is to come alongside the Francophone Martin Luther King Church and help them to move from a local national church to a global international church. The year 2022, over 500 people were baptized here. We're now moving into our fifth service over the weekends. And uh, that should happen probably in about the next six weeks or so. And the growth is just extraordinary not just numerically, but the qualitative spiritual growth from people as they yield their hearts to Christ. We're seeing people come to faith from all over the globe. We have over a thousand new believers last year and 500 of those are being baptized. We have to turn people away from services because there's not enough room to seat them. In fact, the baptism services are amazing. Uh -huh. we, we usually baptize 75 to 90 or so at a time. We have three tanks going. It's like a football game or a hockey <laughs> game. It brings rah, rah, shish, boom, bah, and they come running down the aisles. Their testimonies are already given, going through a six-week course, uh, like you would at Baby Blend for baptism candidates. It's just so exciting. God is really stirring 
uh, the people here in France and beyond. The online ministry goes to 30, 40, 50,000 people a week to 80 plus countries. And our number one country is Canada. Quebec? It's amazing. <laughs> the French Canadians have found us and somehow this weird, fun, wonderful circle, the Reeves from Canada sent to France and now the message heading back. Now we're a part of a huge team. We're not taking the credit, but it's just an amazing story that God is doing right back to Quebec and French speaking Canada. We're just really excited to be part of this, to be part of where God is moving. And we are so grateful for your prayer support. We really feel it, we really need it. And for your financial support. Paris is a pretty expensive place yeah. to live. Yes, I just recently did an art exhibition. Really exciting to meet some other artists in, in Paris and just really excited to see where God's gonna take that. Yeah, this has been a platform that Debbie has used in Indonesia. Kuwait and now here in France. So please pray that that platform will uh, result in God getting glory. We want to thank you again, Bayview Glenn, for your partnership with us, this seamless link agreement. We're very, very grateful. In the future, we're not sure when, but we look forward to some of you coming to see what God is doing here in Paris and in MLK. We get guests every single weekend from all around the planet. So come, find a hotel. We'll let you know how it works and you can attend one of the five services on the weekend. God bless you. Really, really good. This Sunday, Baby Blood. Well, I hope that encourages you. I mean, I think that's amazing. Hundreds of people who are baptized coming to Jesus, friends, we have, I, I think, some work to do. But we get to be a part of that as we pray for them and support them and encourage them uh, in their work around the world. And, and this has been the heartbeat that God is a global God. And so as we left in our journey through scripture, we saw the Old Testament, people were waiting for the Savior, waiting for someone. They were still being scattered. They were still pointing people to God. And then Jesus is born. And notice what happens at the birth of Jesus. Have you ever wondered? There are two groups of people that visited Jesus. There were local shepherds and foreign magi. There were the poorest of the poor, and some very wealthy and prominent people. But why shepherds and why magi? It's because God so loved the world. That was the young woman's question. God loves me, God loves us, God sees me, but God also sees the nations. And the nations came to worship. And Jesus was a globally focused God. He always pointed people to the world and to the nations. In fact, there's one story, you may have heard of it, where a couple times actually, Jesus goes into the temple and he sees in the courts of the temple these money changers. And what happened are people are selling animals to be sacrificed. You have to use only Jewish temple coins. You couldn't use any other currency or money uh, to give your offering at the temple. So you had to exchange your money for the temple coins. And of course the exchange rate was exorbitant and Jesus goes into the temple and he drives these money changers out 
And he, we read this in Mark 11, verse 15. It says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for what? The nations. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And here's Jesus, he's saying, wait a minute. He goes into the temple course, he says, this was to be a place of prayer for what? The nations, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now, most likely where this marketplace was set up was in what was known as the court of the Gentiles. It was a specific area of the temple where Gentiles could come and ask their questions. The Gentiles couldn't get to the inner parts of the temple because you had to be Jewish to do that. But this was a specially designed place. God said, this is to be part of the temple where Gentiles, anybody can come and ask their questions about God. Because why? People were to see the laws and the way that Israel lived and hunger after that one God. And what happened? Where did they set up shop, the money changers? And the animal sellers, it was there. People couldn't come and ask their questions about God. People were stopped. The nations were stopped from inquiring. But God so loves what? The world, everybody, that Jesus drove them out. He said, this is a place of prayer, what? For the nations. This is a place where the nations come and understand who he is. Jesus continues in his ministry at the end of Matthew, Matthew 24, verse 14. He said, and this gospel, this is Jesus before he died. He said, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus here gives a bit of a prophecy. He says, when people know about me, and they hear the truth of who I am, all nations, all world, then Jesus is gonna come. Jesus will return. And then just before he ascended into heaven, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, empowers the disciples, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And what was God, Jesus' command? At the very end, he says, God's command is that you go to the very ends of the earth. Why? Because God so loves the world. And the book of Acts is the book, right, of the church scattering. In fact, the church starts in Jerusalem and they stay there and they don't go and they become almost like uh, the little tower of Babel. No, we're gonna stay in Jerusalem, it's safe, we like it here and God eventually brings persecution. Why? To send the church to the world. And then Paul comes to Christ and Paul catches this vision and so he develops these missionary journeys to take the good news of Jesus to the world. He goes to Turkey, he goes to Greece, he goes to Rome. In fact, as we studied in our study of Romans at the very end, he wanted to go where? To Spain. He says, I'm planning to go to Spain. And I can imagine as Paul's traveling, he's asking people, what's the farthest you've ever been? What's the farthest you can go? If after every sailor, what's the farthest you've ever been? And that was probably Spain. And Paul says, Jesus said to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna take the good news to the very ends of the earth. And Acts ends in uh, Acts 28 uh, with Paul and his imprisonment and, and his difficulty. 
And many people believe we are now living in Acts 29. We're the 29th chapter of Acts. That we are to do what Jesus said in Acts 1-8 is to take the gospel where? To the ends, the very ends of the earth. And let me show you just a little bit of how we're doing with that. Just a couple statistics. I'll keep them uh, little so it won't overwhelm you. Currently, there's about 7.93 billion people in the world, almost 8 billion people. uh, 3.37 billion people are unreached. It means that they live in places where they haven't really heard of Jesus. That's about 42.5%. 42.5% of our world live in a place where there's not really an established church, where there's not really a strong Christian witness, where people would have a hard time hearing about Jesus. Almost three billion, four billion people. Now here's the other thing, about 90% of all the money that's given to missions, 90% is given to send people to places and countries where the gospel has already kind of taken root. That only 10% of our mission giving goes to that other 42% of the unreached world because it's so difficult. It's so challenging. And so sometimes people say, well, we can't worry about the world because we got to worry about our own city or we can't be helping people around the world because we got to help our own people. And yes, we need to help our own people. But God is a global God. God calls us to reach the very ends of the earth. And I remember I was on a mission trip. I was there to train and equip some local pastors in Southeast Asia. And and I was at the hotel one night and this pastor came to me and he said, Pastor Terry, please come. Would you come with me tomorrow? And I I couldn't because I had commitments. Would you come with me to the hill country? There are people, they don't don't hardly even wear clothes. They don't know the name of Jesus. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. And you know what? More people in our world know Coca-Cola. Probably more people in the world know Facebook than they know the name of Jesus. And so we are living in this time of bringing salvation, the good news of Jesus, that people live not knowing that God loves them, not knowing that there's a cure for their sin, not knowing that they can have eternal life with God, not knowing that their creator and sustainer and the Lord really loves them. And so then we get to the third act. The third act of scripture is revelation, and that's the Last book is the third eye of the celebration of the nations. And John has a vision of heaven, and he has a vision of what God called back in Genesis 1. He says in Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, that I looked, and there was a great multitude, couldn't even count them for what every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne. And you know, Matthew 28 is kind of, we call it the Great Commission. Jesus said, I want you to go into the world and make disciples. Actually, the the word there for world is ethnos. I want you to go to every ethnic group and preach Jesus. A few years ago, 2019, I was in (coughs) Uganda and I was at a... uh, uh, kind of, it was a, a retreat play. It was a care place for people within the community. And this woman came. She came from a Muslim background, 
and she came and she came to people there and they said, I've heard about this Jesus, would you tell me about him? I wanna know more about Jesus, so I just wanna know more. And they said, Pastor, would you talk to her about Jesus? And, and I shared about who Jesus was and right in that moment, knowing that she would be uh, kind of rejected by other people in the community, knowing that she would experience persecution because she was giving her life to Jesus, she gave her life to Jesus. And I think I'm gonna be in heaven with her. And I wonder what the rest of her life is going to be like. That <laughs> number of years ago, I was on the small island of Trinidad and we were sharing the Jesus movie and afterwards having an opportunity to pray with people and led several people had opportunity to pray with them to know Jesus. And I think I'm gonna get to worship with them in heaven. Years ago, I was in Mozambique and I was again teaching some pastors and pastors, they were writing notes furiously on these little scraps of paper. And, and they said, these are gonna be our sermons like for the next year, we're gonna take your teaching and that's gonna be in the church. And I think I can't wait to get to heaven and see and hear what the ripple effect of that was. And there is a picture in scripture that God created the earth. He said, Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the earth. Why? To fill it with worshipers. And that when Jesus' name has reached the earth, right, then maybe he will return. And we have some other missionaries who are doing that kind of work, trying to reach uh, the world. That we have um, Ted, uh, Tim and Janice Phillips. And Tim and Janice, they are working Niami in Niger. They oversee a number of missionaries and nationals who are there helping them share Jesus. They're doing some teaching and other work in the home, trying to reach the community. We have Mike and Marianne Bodding. They are in Uganda and uh, they are helping with Emmanuel International, working there and they're helping to deploy uh, nationals and helping them to become missionaries around the world. And so I would love for you to hear from Mike and Marianne, just some of the exciting things that are happening in Uganda. Hi, Bayview Glen. We're Michael and Marianne Bodding, and we were sent by Bayview Glen in 2012 to Northern Uganda, where we're serving with Emmanuel International. And uh, today we wanted to share with you some of what God is doing in our part of the world. Did you know that more Christians live in Africa than on any other continent in the world? Scholars estimate that by 2060, about 42% of the world's evangelical Christians will live right here in Sub-Saharan Africa. So this raises the question, what are we doing here? <laughs> Wouldn't we be better used in the kingdom somewhere else? So Emmanuel International exists to partner with local churches to help them fulfill their God-given role. And that means helping them to address poverty in their communities, and it means helping them grow in discipleship. And over the last five years, as we've been helping uh, churches make disciples who make disciples, we've also been working with them to understand and take up their role in bringing the gospel to unreached and less reached parts of the world. So this is a global shift in missions that we've seen in a big way in countries like South Korea and Brazil and Nigeria. Here in Uganda, we're still in the early days, but we're seeing a lot of momentum in the churches that we partner with. Um, people that we have trained 
in missions courses have turned around and shared that vision with hundreds of others. Uh, some of the churches that we partner with have sent some of their members and supported them to receive training in missions as uh, to be missionaries. And every year we're seeing more churches and more church leaders taking up this vision. Bayview, we want to thank you so much for partnering with us. We're excited to hear that some of you may be coming our way later this year. Just know that through your prayers, strongholds are being broken. Through your financial support, more workers are being raised up. We pray that this snapshot of what's going on over here would spur all of you on to find your unique role in loving and reaching the lost who are across the street and the ones who are across the world. The ones that you may not meet until the day that you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. May God bless you. Well, I hope you're encouraged today by just hearing what God's been doing in Paris, what God's doing in Uganda, and what God wants to do with us. For God so loved the world. So what do we do? What's the church do? What do we, the church, do? Let me just share a few things quickly. First is that we can pray for those mission partners we have. You can find more information on our website Every Wednesday, we send out an e-news and an email newsletter. There's a prayer sheet embedded in that letter, and we always have prayer requests from one of our mission partners on that. So please use that to pray. Maybe you want to pray for a particular country. Maybe you pray for a particular people. There's a great digital resource. It's called Operation World. It's an app, or you can look at it on the web, and it gives you statistics about uh, the growth of the church or the lack of the church in different countries in the world and prayer requests for there. Secondly, maybe you want to explore the world and go and consider taking a short-term mission trip. And for the last while, our missions action team has been working on some possible trips for the next year or so. And during the next two Sundays, uh, not this Sunday, but the next two Sundays in between our services in the Reimer Chapel, they're going to have a short information session. You can come and learn and hear about some possibilities for some short-term mission trips and be able to think about that. Maybe God's calling you to go. Thirdly, here at Bayview, the world's come to us. I mean, I think it's incredible how the world literally is here at our doorstep. You can meet someone from so many other different countries. I would encourage you, get to know them, get to know people from other countries, hear what God is doing, hear what the needs are, pray for those countries. And then finally, ask yourself, why am I staying? Why am I staying? If the heart of beat of God is to go and take the message, to the ends of the earth, why am I not going? And God calls us to stay. We all have some good reasons to stay, but maybe God is calling some of you to go. We'd love to meet with you, pray with you, encourage you, help you to go. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just overwhelming from, a, from Genesis to Revelation that you are a God of the nations, you're a God of this world. And Father, help us to participate. If we are part of the church and your heart, your heart is for the world and your call to the church and the call to the early church was to go to the ends of the earth. Lord, help us to be able to do that 
to pray for people, to support people, uh, to be able to do that and to give. And so God, would you make us globally minded Christians? Would we see more than just our own little life and our own needs, more than just the needs of our city, but would we see the needs of this world because you so loved the world that you gave your son. In Jesus' name, amen.